the ANA Champions of Growth podcast. I'm Andrew Solmer, bringing together industry leaders and the ANA subject matter experts. This podcast covers the issues that impact marketers in creating a stronger and more sustainable economic future for our brands and the people they serve. Each month, we'll focus on one of the 12 growth points of the ANA Growth Agenda. This month's focus is on brand innovation, creativity, and experience. Specifically, we'll be discussing experiential marketing, a spoke in the wheel of brand activation, marketing that builds a brand's image and drives a specific consumer action. Join us as Jamie Sunshine, head of the Experiential Center of Excellence at Nestle, shares brand activation insights and strategies that drive growth. Good morning. We're speaking today about the ANA Growth Agenda, the ANA's commitment to helping members drive business growth through marketing. The ANA has identified 12 areas of focus, and today we're narrowing in on brand innovation, creativity, and experience. I'm so happy to have Jamie Sunshine, head of the Experiential Center of Excellence at Nestle USA, joining me to share his insights and expertise. Good morning, Jamie. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Gina. Thank you for having me. Well, we're happy to have you. You head up experiential marketing, um, which is a pillar of brand activation for Nestle. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, I have uh, been with Nestle for roughly three and a half years and been in the industry for 20 years or so. Prior to coming to Nestle, I spent a good portion of my career on the agency side, mostly focused on experiential, but also brand marketing and sports marketing. I've been with Red Bull earlier in my career where I oversaw marketing along a region on the East Coast. And for anyone who knows Red Bull, they know it's a brand that's deeply committed to experiential and field marketing. And that was amazing experience. And of course, coming from Red Bull, but also having worked on the agency side with a number of other beverage brands like Heineken and Miller, Pepsi, that work immediately applied to what I do here at Nestle, obviously as being a food and beverage company. And at Nestle, as you said, I oversee the experiential center of excellence. And uh, we support our brand teams by developing experiential strategies, identifying the role experiential can play for a brand, working internally and with partners to get to the right concepts and working cross-functionally to build integrated experiential programs. And then, of course, managing the execution and the analysis uh, through those initiatives as well. It's interesting that Nestle has a center of excellence dedicated to experiential marketing. Not everybody does. How did it get started and have you had it a long time? And what are some of your learnings? When I came on board is essentially when we officially launched Experiential as a center of excellence. It's been great to see there really is so much support behind Experiential as a function. And Experiential had been leveraged in the company before I arrived, uh, mainly though through field marketing and sampling. And when I came in, it was with the purpose to build our Experiential capabilities and, and leverage Experiential more widely across our divisions. In order to do that though, we had to put the right fundamentals in place, whether that was our approach to strategy, creative planning, our executional approach, measurement, and all of that to essentially help demonstrate the value and the impact Experiential can have for our brands. That also meant showing the diversity of solutions that Experiential can provide beyond sampling. For some of our brands, sampling or driving trial plays a key role. That's inherent to being a food and beverage company. Tasting is believing. We have great products. We want consumers to experience them. But for other brands, trial is not the core purpose of an experiential initiative. It could be with the purpose to drive brand preference and relevancy and the output of that you know, maybe earned media and owned reach. So it does vary, right? The strategies we apply to brands, but through all of that, we focus a lot on collaboration with our cross-functional partners. And everyone here has heard me say a hundred times that experiential should rarely, if ever, live alone. 
right? We, we rely on the collaboration with our digital and social team, media, PR, e-com, sales. In order for us to have success with consumers and with our customers, we have to build holistic and integrated plans. So we focus on that heavily. We'll only continue to do it more, and especially given the evolution of experiential in this current environment, especially, uh, where digital plays such a significant role. Absolutely. I so agree with what you're saying. And I've often thought to utilize experiential marketing for the sake of it, it's kind of a, a show-off thing and it doesn't really help drive the business. So I think that experiential marketing is most effective when it's tied into the business and really has um, solid goals and measurable results. Can you talk a little bit about your process of developing you know, your KPIs and, and how you sell in your programs to management? I think our members are always asking those questions. I agree, right? Having a clear goal and measurable metrics are certainly needed. For us, it's starts with the strategy. So we actually, a while back, put together a strategic framework to help guide the role experiential can play for our brands. We, of course, we have so many different brands and the strategies of those differ in some cases significantly. Uh, but in all cases for us, we focus on laddering up to the communications and the commercial objectives of each of those brands. When I first joined Nestle, it was became pretty clear to me that there were quite a few marketers who felt that experiential was difficult to measure. They didn't know the return of experiential. So that was an immediate barrier, which made sense. So we worked hand in hand team who were excellent partners, as well as one of our agency partners to develop a custom measurement model. And what that model allows us to do is to project the return of a program while we're planning it. So ahead of time, we can have discussions with a brand knowing what we want to achieve, what the return on that initiative we expect to be. And then of course we can still measure it while the program is happening, make changes as we need to in real time. And then afterwards use the model to really understand if an initiative was successful. And we'll look at purchase intent lift and consumer response, but we also intentionally like tie our programs directly to sales. Like we want to know like are our efforts having tangible business impact. So we'll work very closely with our customer teams to develop programming at specific retailers. We'll measure that through distributor or IRI data. We'll work with our digital and media teams on amplification and conversion driving tactics. We'll measure those as well. So it's a multifaceted in terms of how we measure programs. So it's all with the goal, of course, to create memorable experiences with consumers. When we do that right, when we pull it all together through the marketing mix, like we know we can move from being a product to hopefully brand love. But we do that being consumer-led, but also measuring, of course, the business return through that yeah. as well. And I love the fact that you talked about the marketing mix. I mean, when I think of experiential, to me, it's a spoke in the wheel of brand activation. And at the ANA, we think of brand activation as incorporating experiential, promotion, influencer marketing, content marketing, commerce marketing, and relationship marketing. Those are the pillars that we've identified. Can you talk a little bit about how you weave those other elements into your program to create a fully integrated program for Nestle and for your brands? Absolutely. And completely agree with the view that you take on it as well. It's it's actually not only just with experiential, it's part of the reason why we have what we call internally a center for marketing excellence. It's to leverage the full power of our cross-functional team. So yeah, so as you said, we focus on developing integrated, also omni-channel programs, whether that's through physical or digital engagements. But yeah, we also need to think through that entire consumer journey. Also right now, especially think through the changes in consumer behavior and how 
how consumers are shopping, how they're consuming media. So working with our cross-functional team to obviously learn from that, take into consideration, build into the design of our initiatives. But everything that you said before, whether it's content, CRM, media strategy, so on, we look at that as a full 360 initiative and plan for that together. A good example of that, I think, is something that we're a program we're just about to launch for one of our frozen food brands, Life Cuisine. And what we've developed with the Life Cuisine team is a digital-led experience. And we're essentially launching a digital restaurant. And we've partnered with Grubhub to do this. And it's a last-mile delivery initiative where we're going direct-to-consumer to drive trial. We haven't seen other brands do this in the frozen food space. We're excited about this initiative. But as part of that program design, we're leveraging paid social to drive awareness. We're driving additional awareness through partnerships with micro-influencers locally, working with Grubhub through the online engagement and what that means from a CRM perspective. We're creating organic social content on our brand channels. We're also shortening the path to purchase. We have a digital coupon. We're working with our econ team for retail integration into our microsite. So again, so this is an experiential activation, but we're working cross-functionally to create a holistic plan, trial and engage consumers, but really maximize those efforts through that cross-functional work. Yeah, exciting. I mean, I think that's where you see the greatest work come out out of it and experiential really has the ability to touch customers and it's really thinking about how to touch them in the places where they really live so you know you want to make sure that you're in social so that you reach people in the social channels or through digital really you want to kind of meet the customer where they are exactly yeah, yeah. completely agree love yeah. them I think, you know, I love kind of the approach that you're taking about it. And I think it touches on the idea of creativity and innovation. How do you sit down to kind of make sure that your ideas are, that you spur creativity, that you spur that innovative process? Do you you have a a way that you work with your team? Do you have a process that you developed over the years? Could you share a little bit about that? We, as a company, we have a a brand planning process that we follow across our brands that helps us to have consistency in how we build campaigns and how we work together as cross-functional partners. So we leverage that often. It's also not so structured, though, to limit ideation. We want to be opportunistic where it strategically makes sense. But I'd also say, to answer your question, I don't think there's one great way to get to an idea, right? We have to be really open about where an idea comes from. We have a small number of experiential partners, agency partners who have consistently delivered great ideas. Obviously, we appreciate their work. So there's a way of working that we have with them to collaborate together, but also give them space right, to come back with those great ideas. Internally, we also try to maintain a culture where we break down silos. So for instance, if an idea comes from a PR agency that can translate to experiential, that's great and vice versa. And with modern marketing, right, what that looks like today, it's impossible not to blur the lines. So important that we all embrace that. But we also get great ideas from our internal team. You know, as a team, like we try to keep our finger on the pulse, understand what's happening culturally, where the conversation is happening with consumers and then be agile and lean into that. I think a good example, we have a field marketing team that's focused on our ready to drink business. So, you know, Nesquik and Chameleon Cold Brew. That program is designed to be hyper local and the field team does amazing job. Like they know their markets inside and out. They develop great relationships 
relationships locally, and they work with those partners to develop ideas that are right for their particular city. We're actually just coming off of an activation we did for National Chocolate Milk Day, which uh, is a big Chocolate moment. National Chocolate Milk for, Day, Jamie. That, that's right. And that, yeah, it's a big moment for Nesquik. We established partnerships with two well-known sneaker artists who developed uh, these amazing custom Nesquik-inspired sneakers. I'd recommend going to Instagram to check them out. And we also then partnered with uh, some of the top sneaker shops in each of our cities. And they promoted this the, with the artists, worked together to give them away. So it came together physically and digitally. Really creative concept. And it was successful. It, it brings our brand to life through these cities, through this hyper-local approach. But the team did an amazing job to develop this, you know, continue to push on the creativity side. And, and that one was internally led. Yeah, and I think that's so true. It's really all about having a creative mindset and being willing to jump on current trends. So certainly, you know, athleisure is the trend of the moment. And, you know, athletic footwear is really what everybody is wearing and wearing and sporting these days. So that makes perfectly good sense to tie the two together to really jump on a trend. So well done. Thank you. So Jamie, let's talk about the elephant in the room, right? So COVID-19. There's no way not to have a conversation that doesn't talk about COVID-19. And, you know, it's really wreaked havoc on all forms of marketing, but especially experiential marketing, since experiential marketing is traditionally known as high touch, uh, high feel. So can you share some of the pivots, you know, to, to, to use a well-worn phrase, can you share some of your pivots or your, re your reimagined experiences? I'm talk a little bit about what frustrated you during this time, surprised you or delighted you. You use the phrase wreaking havoc, and I think it's a good phrase to use. Yeah, we, like a lot of others, we had our year planned out. So in March, we were designing programs and launching programs that were focused on driving engagement with consumers physically. And as you know, we all know, like things changed so quickly, and then we realized that we couldn't move forward as we planned, and, and we had to immediately pivot. And it was a scary moment. Right? We think back to March, there was so much uncertainty. To a certain extent, now there still is. But in that, like we knew at the time that experiential wasn't going to go away, but it was going to look different, right? especially in the short and midterm. So we had to take a step back and just evaluate the work that we had planned. And we felt like there would be three phases of a recovery, right? That first phase, we think back like March, April, May, June, we had no choice but to focus on digital and virtual experiences as an industry. Physical engagement at that time was impossible or was going to be very limited. Obviously, we were all thinking, you know, of course, safety first. And we felt like that would probably carry through through the spring and into the early summer. But then that we would reach this midterm point where we could safely engage consumers physically, but in a much different way. It would likely be, and we're seeing this now, in more intimate and smaller environments. But what it really meant to us was this pivot to be more digitally led. And that's where we placed a lot of our energy was on that turning point when we knew we could engage consumers physically differently as to how we did that. But again, really leveraged digital. And that's still to very much how we're currently activating. You know, we went from leveraging digital as an enabler to then leveraging digital. I'm sorry if I can say it again. We went from leveraging digital as an amplifier to then leveraging digital as an enabler. And that was a big pivot for us. You know, we've had a great relationship and of course work closely with our digital team. They've been great partners, but we've really tightened that work together and we've accelerated a lot of work streams together to help us be more digitally led. And, and we've had success 
with this approach. You know, we're just coming off of another big moment with Chameleon Cold Brew and National Coffee Day. So another day. These two happen to take place so close to each other. But in that case, we, we partnered with local chefs and pastry chefs and mixologists and other influencers and partners who create using Chameleon Cold Brew. And we developed a ton of awesome content. And we developed very localized activations in each of our cities and with local businesses who featured these recipes. And the digital extensions were a core part of that program. So, you know, in thinking through it, you asked like what frustrates you or what delights you, right? Like for, for me, I'd say the pivot that the team made, I'm really proud of. Like they, it was a tough moment for so many in the industry. And you know, the team has shown a lot of agility. They, you know, they quickly pivoted. They embraced a new way of working and built new digital capabilities to engage consumers in a different way. Again, I think we will get back to larger events and experiences. We're very much looking forward to that. I think they will look different. It may not be until after there's a vaccine when larger experiences come back. But we all know people are craving engagement and physical interaction like more than ever. Right. So when we do get there, though, we think that because of this pivot we've made and the capabilities we've built, we'll actually be in a better place to create even stronger programs. Yeah, it's an interesting point, isn't it? I think that it definitely digital offers something different than true experiential does. It offers you the ability to reach many more customers with scale. It offers you an opportunity to meet those customers where they like to be met. And it does offer you the opportunity to think creatively and financially in a different way. As you think about longer term and a return to a more normal work environment, do any of the things that you've learned during this time inform your plans for moving forward? Yeah, they absolutely do. I mean, so much of it is you can look at it on more of a micro moment or micro level in the sense of the capabilities we've built, how we'll leverage those in the future, the partnership with our digital team and our media team to be able to leverage experiential in a different way. I would say looking at it more broadly, one of the takeaways for me through this whole situation is that as an industry, we actually shouldn't be so narrow in how we define experiential. Like we're, again, leaning into digital in so many ways, but we're still building programs to engage consumers and and create experiences. And I think, you know, the people that can pivot and meet the moment right now can still be very successful and build brands. For others that may put experiential in a box only through physical will be challenged, unfortunately. And when this hit, like we all realized like how significantly it was going to disrupt and we didn't know for how long, right? Like we now see that it's probably longer than we expected. It's unclear when large events will return and we will get there, but we don't know exactly when, but we'll all come out of the stronger. But again, it goes back to what I mentioned before, the work we're doing now, we will continue to apply that. And we know that we'll have more effective programs and a better experience design because mm-hmm. of the approach we're, we're now taking. That's funny. I think you, that leads me right into kind of my next thought. And I think that there's an opportunity during this time to think about technology and how technology can really inform your experiential offerings to customers. You know, if you think about these deeply immersive uh, experiences and worlds that are created, particularly in gaming, um, those can really become, I think, something that a brand could really adopt and create a deeply immersive brand world where they could interact with their customers on an ongoing basis. How have you used technology or do you see technology playing a role in your experiential marketing efforts? The short answer is yes, but I'd also say (laughs) we haven't utilized technology significantly. And it's actually, it's, it's intentional. Yeah, I think I am, and as a team, we're careful not to use technology for the sake of using technology, right? There needs to be a clear reason from a business and financial perspective, and it would just need to pay out, 
So we've looked at opportunities to incorporate AR and VR, and we know those will have a role at some point. But in our work or in our category so far, we haven't felt the need to significantly or consistently lean into technology. We want to think about the consumer first. And if technology plays a role in strengthening the experience, then we'll definitely consider it. But we also don't want to force it. You know, one area that we're focused on, because it plays into technology to a certain extent, is personalization. Mm -hmm. And you know, we see that playing an even heavier role within our experience and how we engage a consumer and then continue that journey with the consumer afterwards through digital media, other above the line media, retail communications. So technology might not always come through in terms of the physical experiences we have, but the advancements within digital media certainly are a focus for us. And we stay really close with those teams. But we'll also, we'll definitely keep an eye on touchless tech. Yeah, I would see that being an area where there's a lot of future adoption. And we are leveraging that in other parts of our business. For our team, we just developed a low touch sampling display. It makes it very easy for the consumer to receive a sample. It essentially puts the consumer in control to get the sample versus having it physically handed to them by our staff. So we just deployed these in market. So it's not very tech forward, admittedly, sure. but we see it as a, a great solution. It's just a way to ensure safety and comfort to the consumer through an experience they have with us. What does that look like? It's a kiosk where a consumer, it's we're leveraging it for our beverage brands, both Nesquik and Chameleon Cold Brew. And the consumer simply just needs to walk up to the kiosk, put their foot on a pedal, and they will receive a sample. So we're able to maintain distance from the consumer. They're able to safely receive a sample with knowing that there's very limited interaction. It's still within a branded footprint. They're still able to engage one of our staff members, but from six feet. So a way for us just to, again, still create experiences, still drive trial, but do it in a way where a consumer is comfortable. You mentioned two gaming before. I mean, for us, that's certainly an area of focus. You know, Nesquik is a brand that is active in the gaming space. And it's an area that, of course, as we all know, will continue to grow in an area for us to engage consumers in the right way. So certainly another area that we're keeping very much top of mind and are already activating in. Yeah, I love that. And I love when you talked earlier about personalization. I can certainly see, hopefully, my face as the Nesquik bunny at some point and all the rest of your <laughs> consumers. That's right. I think everybody kind of wants to know what's in the future. So I'm sure that you have all the answers and I'm sure you know exactly what lies had. Um, right. But why don't you share with us a little bit about what you see, how you see experiential, how you see kind of brand activation, you know, um, creativity, innovation, these ideas moving forward into the future and and what forms they might take and, and how we might come out of this stronger than we were before. I think we will, right? We have to maintain that view and continue to work towards that because the industry has been hit so hard. It's tough. And we spent time today talking about our response and being more digitally led. But I know we both haven't lost sight of like those people have been impacted and rely on physical experiences. So whether that's event producers, venues, agencies, like that part of this is so tough. It's very much a rough patch to get through. And hopefully we get through that as soon as possible so that people within the industry can gain back the momentum and in some cases reestablish their businesses. So looking forward to that recovery. In terms of where the industry is going, wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, <laughs> I, I can try to project. You know, first, and this I'm sure most will agree with, is that we're going to get back to those 
larger physical events and experiences. Again, probably not till after a vaccine and people even after the vaccine may be uncomfortable in a setting with a lot of other people. So venues will need to adjust how they welcome attendees. Yeah, I think we'll see more health testing, possibly biometric tracking. We'll also, you know, venues and us as partners will need to think about spacing within a venue. So we may be experiencing large events, small group of friends, but maybe not all gathered together in one crowded space. So I think event design and venues will change and evolve. Another area where I'd see the industry going is this continuation of this hybrid physical and virtual world, right? It's been accelerated so quickly. It is now very much a part of our habits and expectations. So I wouldn't see virtual replacing physical by any means, but events offering virtual extensions and experiences, I think that's very much here to stay. And it's going to be interesting to see what that means for the evolution of online engagement through an event, also gamification as part of that too. So it all does tie back in a lot of ways to, I think, having successful experiential capabilities is going to require even more of an investment in digital because I think the digital extension to events will continue. Yeah, I also, and this isn't new to our industry, but I think we're seeing even a, more of a focus on it is this deeper desire for hyper-local communications, right? We're in this strange time. Like people aren't traveling as much and we're all thinking about our communities and local businesses more than we ever have, right? We're hoping that they make it through. We're doing what we can to support them. We're just thinking about our community. And as brands, like we can be mindful of what each community is going through even with COVID, right? What a consumer is experiencing in Miami versus what a consumer is experiencing in New York can be very different. So that's an important consideration in terms of how we speak to consumers in a way to show that we not only understand their preferences, so we communicate to them in a way that reflects that, but that we also understand what's happening in their community. So that hyper-local approach is one that I think will continue for a while. We're, we're very focused there, but it also in that creates opportunities for really unique local driven partnerships. Like we're, I've talked about a few of these already, but we're doing quite a few that we're really proud of to lean into that hyper-local approach. So yeah, I'd say the hybrid model is very much here to stay. There are opportunities to then tie that to personalization. Event design will evolve. And again, hyper-local will be a focus. I'd see those are all areas where our industry will continue to evolve. So I guess I was wrong. You do have the crystal ball. I don't know about that. But those all sound right on point. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that that's a great synopsis of the opportunity moving forward. And I do think that we're going to come out of this stronger and smarter as marketers, more creative, more innovative, all of those things. Um, So Jamie, before I let you go, I want to ask you the million dollar question. What have you started doing as part of COVID that you think you're going to maintain or keep doing after COVID is in the rearview mirror? It's actually a tougher question and maybe it should be from a work perspective, of course. I mean, you've heard me talk about the pivot we've made and being digitally led and leveraging digital as an enabler. So that will continue. Again, it will be balanced with how we engage consumers physically, but also through the design of our experiences and the way that as a cross-functional team we work together, that has been strengthened through this. And we will continue that. And we'll think about personalized communications. We'll think about consumer behavior as it relates to shopping, because I think there's some permanent changes and evolution in that. So all of that we're taking into account in terms of how we design programs, how we engage consumers. that will continue on even as physical comes back and again plays a larger role in the work that we do. So that will very much continue. And as you just said, right, we will end up in a better place. We'll have stronger, more effective 
programs because of that. It's been interesting too, I mean, separately, but one thing that I expect us to continue is also like how we engage our own teams. Our team, I've talked about our field marketing team, a good portion of our team is remote, they're field-based. So even before COVID, it was only so often that we could get together. We do that every quarter or however so often, or we were traveling out to their markets often, we'd see each other in person much more often than we are now. But since this has all happened, we've been doing more virtual happy hours and game nights. And Love it has that. been a nice way for our team to stay connected. Don't get me wrong. I would much rather see everybody in person. Connecting with the team virtually is something I'd continue seeing us doing. Well, Jamie, thank you so, so much. I found this conversation kind of inspirational and exciting, and I'm, I'm feeling really positive about where things are going in the future. So thank you for sharing kind of some of your insights into brand activation and experiential marketing and specifically creativity and innovation. Yeah, thank you, Jeannie. I appreciate the opportunity to join you. Thank you so much. Jamie, thank you for a great discussion. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of the ANA Champions of Growth podcast. Want to start, expand, or evolve your brand activation initiatives? The ANA can help. Join us for best in class case studies, the latest research, and the newest trends at www.ana.net backslash brand activation. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and most podcast players. For more information on how the ANA helps drive growth, please visit ana.net backslash growth agenda.